Welcome to the Fitness for Sport podcast, a podcast dedicated to giving unseen amateur athletes training advice for the weight room, field, court, track and much more. After all, training resources and knowledge should not just be for one group of athletes and not for others. I'm your host Connor Stewart, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, a personal trainer but most of all I love to play sport. Thank you very much for listening and let's get into today's episode. Good. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 27 of the Fitness for Sport podcast. Thank you very much for listening, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Hope you're staying safe and well. Today, we have a very esteemed guest for you. Very excited to have him on. Big thanks to him for sacrificing some time out of his day to do this. But we have John Curtis Noonan, very experienced strength and conditioning coach in a range of different sports. Um, but enough from me. I'll let him sort of introduce himself, tell us a bit about his background, what he's been doing, where he's been going and all that. So, John, thank you very much for being on the podcast, mate. Hey, Connor. Thank you, mate. Thanks. It's really good to be on. And um, like we were saying, really cool to see where you've taken the podcast and a lot of your work as well. We, we obviously go back a long way. So good work, mate. Um, oh, thank you. So I guess story for me, really, uh, like many others, I aspired to be a premiership footballer. Didn't quite reach the dizzy highs of that. I had trials at a football club and whilst I, I was probably a, um, more of a pack horse, you know, I had the work rate, but I was all go, no show. Like I just did not <laughs> have the abilities to, to cut it. So um, after that, I, I was a fitness instructor for a number of years at a few different gyms and kind of worked in the public domain and just found a, found a love for coaching. And I managed to get into a degree program at University of Hull and it was probably about halfway through that degree that um, I found a passion for sports science and then that developed into a passion for uh, strength and conditioning. So my first role was in 2007 um, in championship football. Awesome experience, Scunthorpe United, working with Nigel Adkins. I got taught many a valuable lesson which I still sort of hang on today and um, you know for me that developed over time and went into then a few different premiership football roles as an SNC coach. Um, worked in both codes of, of rugby as well, uh, Olympic snow sport and a few different disciplines. Uh, and then now today, I guess in 2018, I, uh, I set up my own business where I've got the opportunity to consult with different team sport athletes um, and more notably uh, formula racing drivers and golf as well. Mate, that's amazing. I don't know many other coaches out there who would possibly have quite the range and extent of experience to that you've had in all your different sports and so I guess the sort of biggest question to come out of that is you know what's been your favorite experience so far there's it's a bit of a cop-out there's no standout favorite experience or favorite job but they've all got they've all got the benefits and I guess there's I'd say there's a lot of coaches who have got like a, a multi-sport background but you know certainly it, it gives you it gives you the opportunity to test your philosophy in different domains and and, and sort of figure out what does success look like for you. Um, but in terms of like, you know, your favorite experiences, I would say in team sport, you know, as a coach loved getting tested and being adaptable because you're managing a, managing a program, trying to develop a, a team sport, right. And, and working to optimize each individual's performance within a team structure. And that's, that's, easy, that's harder said than done. And then within that, you're finding ways to cater for all those individual needs, be it in the program, in the training, despite, you know, often large differences in their training age, chronological age, background, playing position, etc. And of course, the goal is to win every weekend, and that's ex- you know that's really exciting to see the, the fruition of training in the week come 
come into winning and optimizing their potential in olympic sport though you you work or i did i worked across a few different disciplines and got to work in some very cool places in in europe and north america and, and that's a really cool scene as well with some very different people so certainly non-traditional athletes and they really push you outside the box in terms of coaching and how to speak coach or or, or speak uh, speak dude as dan roberts would say um yeah and, and you know the obvious difference is there to team sport athletes is that you still need to win in smaller competitions but the ultimate goal of course is to try and peak and medal at the olympics and that brings a, a new set of challenges, shall we say, but the affordance to to really develop the person um, and look at how they can thrive over time. And, and I get right now, you know, uh, loving what I'm doing still and I'm lucky enough to work with some fantastic individuals and take all the experiences and skills that I've acquired and deliver this in a holistic manner that I truly believe develops a winning person and an athlete. Mate, mega. Yeah, I think yeah, that's really good. Each, each role certainly is unique and it all brings you to where you are where you are now i guess doesn't it so it's all uh it's all good experience it's all really enjoyable but we are here to talk about rugby as you said you've worked in sort of both rugby professional codes league and union and i guess a lot of people out there who are listening to this keen amateur players or sort of pushing to get into like the semi semi pro ranks perhaps or just looking to play at a good level for their club and i guess their main question is does positional difference really matter when it comes to training in the gym and what do you think mm. yeah it i think it does but i guess before i plow into into that specifically you know I'll sort of preface that with it depends on a few factors. I think number one, it depends where the player is in their development. Uh, I, I would think most people listen to this that they'd agree that there's, there's some obvious differences in how you might treat and train an academy athlete versus a senior athlete. Um, you know, vastly different training experience um, and, and how you would handle those in terms of developmentally and then looking to further optimize and just get maybe stretch their career, should we say, and, and, and just look to offset maybe a, an injury history, contraindications that they've got within their training ability and, and still help them put more miles on the clock and still perform at a standard that they want. Your next factor is is uh, level of competition. I mean, you, know, you mentioned that perhaps most folks listen to this are an amateur or, or semi-pro, but I think the higher you go in competition, so if you're working at the pro level, you, you're playing at the pro level, um, the, more, the more the technical ability probably distinguishes between athletes, between players. Um, most are, are very phys physically capable, um, but what probably differentiates between average to ex excellent is, is, is their standout ability, technical ability. So low end of the scale, if we're working with amateurs and, 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 and semi-pros, you are still looking to, within your training, um, exceed or should we say get to a point where you can outplay or dominate the competition uh, and and how you approach that positionally can really help and I'm, i'll come into that in a second but you know lower down probably yes it, it plays a bigger factor in the weight room in what you may do and i'll explain that shortly but and then i guess wrapping around that too is your physical profile so before you you probably look to you know specialize positionally for me at least i'd want to profile somebody and and consider their injury history and and ask the question first, if you're strong enough and do you move well, you know, have we kind of achieved, say, the low hanging fruit, you know, the, the basics and put some foundations in place. And once you've got that, then I think you can you, you're probably at a point where you can make some decisions to the type of exercises done in the weight room as well as what you do on the grass. Um, and that for me will become increasingly important. 
you know, for example, I think if you had two two teams, say, at semi-pro level, amateur level, and they're matched in skill, one group trains across the week generically, across all playing positions. They do the positional stuff as they would do, you know, you know, backs and forwards, and they do some significantly different things. But in the gym, they train the same way. The other group, the other team would perhaps individualize based on position. Um, and then the group would look to really specialize in their preparation and how that tailors into the specific demands of the task that will outplay the other team come game day. So in the gym, it's very specific. For me, if you put those two against each other, the team that works specifically would win. Um, and it, for the same reason that we, we never train a marathon runner like a sprinter and you never really train a front, a front three prop like a fullback, do you? So I think once you've accounted for that, and you've got your major elements in place for how you cover your training, then I would look to define the key differences in roles between positions and look at what the best do in those positions and then look to reverse engineer what success look like looks like in that position. So um, if we take another two examples, so your prop, for instance, you're a heavier individual, they're stronger, they do a lot more grunt work on, on, on the pitch and more time in contact on average, um, and a lot more carrying and tackling as a positional requirement. The fullback, whereas... For instance, they may be, or they are usually speaking a lot lighter as individuals. They're quicker, better footwork. They kick, obviously, as a specialty as well. And then, you know, they'll carry the ball at high speeds, but potentially spend less time in contact collisions on average in a game. So, you know, with those obvious differences, consider you've got probably in the gym, one individual that the prop would spend more time developing maximal strength and contact skills for collision, whereas the other arguably would spend more time developing speed, maximum speed, footwork, and, and their kicking skills. So, you know, looking at the role, looking at the position, yes, I think off the back of that, how you train them will enable them to, to should we say, optimise or, or use their X factors within each position um, and probably have have a more profound return in, 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 in competition as well. Nice, nice. So just a few things to pick up from that. We The first thing that just sort of comes off the top of my head really good way of obviously distinguishing um between what they need to do in the gym is, is what you talked about you know their specific roles on the field but in terms of sort of basic physical preparation is there actually things that they should be doing the same of should it all be completely different or are they going to have things that they both work the same on does that make sense mm. yeah yeah so if you're If so, before we look to maybe specialize or or really positionally get specific, you want to make sure people are strong enough. They move well, and and you know they can do what's required on the pitch. And for the most part, if we're talking about young adolescents um, or you know in the teenage teenage years of an athlete, everyone's pretty much gonna do very similar lifts in the gym: deadlifts, squats, you know. Uh, single leg variations, pushes and pulls, and and for the most part, if if you had a program that was matched positionally for that, then then at a very young age, um, where where an athlete or an individual is very, should we say, um, you you can mould them very very easily because they've got a fairly matched training experience. They haven't got um, uh, a big training experience in the weight room, and in any of any of those positions, if they pick up a weight, they're going to develop in a very similar way, and I think probably when you get in your well, professional level in your 18s but if you're if you're talking um sub um sub elite 
semi-pro amateurs and you're and you've got guys at 18 19 you can probably train them very similarly and still get away with it regardless of position but when they cross the 20s um and you've probably got you know some players in that in that area who have been been a player at that level for you know five maybe 10 years then it really does matter i think if you start to distinguish what you do in the weight room with those players so you you know if we're talking again props and fullbacks the example i just gave if you've got a prop you'd spend more time in the week for that individual lifting maximal loads heavy as possible through large ranges of movement because that's going to help them carry over to strong uh, strong in the scrum um, and lineouts, rucking and mauling and you're looking for them to produce high levels of force throughout large ranges of movement in the lower limbs can they explode into 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 collision um, and can they can they tackle and, and take collision as well and then for the fullback you would for someone in their 20s you would still look to develop maximal strength but there's probably a point of diminishing returns there where continuing to chase strength in someone who's relatively strong, but yet you're leaving speed off the table or rate of force development, which is going to underpin how they apply that force and become faster on the pitch. You're not going to have that if you're just, for the most part, spending a lot of your week training maximal strength through you know, large ranges of movement. They'll be efficient and, and maybe they're quite a springy individual already. And perhaps genetically what selected them being in that position is 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 they already have the prerequisites to, to be a good fullback or a good prop. But I think the older an individual gets, you probably do start to need to, you know, filter down into into the types of training because that will that will harness what they look like and how they perform come Saturday or Sunday. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's brilliant. Really good, really good sort of way of putting it there. Definitely it, it sort of goes on that generic to specific continuum, doesn't it? And as you gain more training experience in the gym, you can just get more specific. As you talked about point of diminishing returns, I thought that was a really good, really good point you made there. And before you mentioned about profiling, how you like to profile all your athletes who you work with, etc. How would somebody go about profiling themselves in the gym? Because if we're talking about how someone can really distinguish themselves and sort of not just be the generic lifter, but really set themselves aside on the pitch, profiling is going to have a big impact for them, right? Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, I always sort of run with the idea, if, you, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. You know, you, you, you're guessing how strong you are. You're guessing how quick you are. Um I guess the four major key players in terms of in terms of assessments, you want to be considering assessing strength, speed, your conditioning, and your movement competency, or or how how what level of capability you have to access all the ranges of movement and all the key positions that you need to perform well in in running or, or tackling and carrying, for instance. So um, very briefly, if you were to start in strength, for instance, and um, you know, I've I've done this in, in in environments where you've got all the bells and whistles available with force plates, um, and then others where you've got nothing and you've literally got a barbell and some weight. So if we talk, if we sort of go from the basic area first, um, you you load up a bar, you do a few warm sets, and either pick a, a squat or a deadlift. You're going to assess lower limb strength. Um, for most folks, most people can do fairly well without much technical experience. A, a trap bar squat, for instance, that's a massive bang for buck lift, and 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 try and, and work up to a maximum 
three rep max or a five rep max if you're a younger individual say and you haven't got as much training experience and maybe you're not as confident in that, in that lift but if you can um, progressively say over three attempts get to a maximum three or five rm and then extrapolate that and there's there's many equations on on the net or or charts that'll help you you figure it out for free and then estimate it to one rm and then you've got your your one rm and then from that then throughout pre-season or in-season you can talk about or, or start to plan the types of work that you go through based on right what percentage of my maximum i'm working at today what's and that's probably usually defined by what's 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 the aim of of, of the training phase that you're in are you trying to get stronger more powerful or fitter and then you can you can to an extent choose the intensities to then elicit a certain response that you're looking for if we're talking about um speed then you i think for the most part you can profile if you've got you know the higher end stuff is, is timing gates um, but there's some even very old systems like some of the browser systems you can still get or many clubs have. If you haven't got that, your poor man stopwatch will do the job and and have a, have your mate or, or someone else have their hand on a cone that you're going to run past at the end point that's finished line and then hit stop. And um, a new profile anywhere from 5 to 10 all the way to 30 metres. Um, and I've probably the maximum I've done is 30 metres. I think unless you're a fullback and a, and a winger, you're, you're probably not covering beyond that um that often in a game so I'd, I'd prop up to 30 and from that you could look at acceleration from your five to ten meters and then make some make some judgments there i mean pretty much in every position you want them to accelerate at high speed very efficiently we know that high strength correlates to being being effective in terms of acceleration and how fast you can be and how, how much you can accelerate because that's down one end of the force velocity curve in, in terms of maximum strength. That's got a massive influence uh, in terms of strength and its ability to, to or maximum strength and, its, and how much strength that you need to produce force for acceleration and to get the system moving. And if we're talking about top speed, you're talking 20 metres plus up to 30, 40. And then we're looking at a less maximum strength, but the ability still to apply high amounts of strength or force, but very, very, very quickly. And for that, of course, then you know you can you can use that to influence or inform your types of training to more more strength, speed, speed, strength, style lifts in the gym, um, and programs and the like. And then, if we're talking about conditioning, uh, I've done this a few different ways, but I guess a, a really simple way and one way that can can help folks administer training programs from this would be one of two ways. I think. Maximum aerobic speed testing and training seems to be quite a popular one because um, number one, you can do that submaximally, say for five minutes, 50 meters out and back, uh, count up as many reps as you can within five minutes, and then you've got you've got your submaximum running capacity. The limitation with that though is that if you don't if you don't pace yourself well, you you within the last minute of oh, I've got a minute to go, five minutes, you start to then sprint, and that's you probably haven't 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 um, paced your strategy very well so it isn't an ideal reflection of your submaximum capacity but after a couple of way a couple of efforts of doing that and, and you're honest enough where you're running then you'll get to it at decent that's i could not have run any more in five minutes and then from that again there's equations that allow you to figure out what percentages of your maximum you're running at in terms of meters per second and then you can look at running percentages to get fitter and overload you're running 30 15 um uh, endurance run test is another really good one as well which i've used and, and look that up if we're looking at movement competency, uh, I know you and I have talked about this before, but um, I, I think an all-around really 
effective and simple assessment is the athletic ability assessment. And if you punch that into Google, it'll come up. Um, uh, look at the paper as well by Ian McKeon and colleagues. This was developed in the NFL, but it's since been used in football, uh, different team sport codes in rugby as well, uh, in individual sports. And and quite simply, you know, most players want to get good in a squat, um, a push and a pull, a hop and a land and, and bracing for their core work. The assessment the screen allows you to to assess and profile exactly that on a one to three scale. One being poor, three being really good. Uh, and then off the back of that, you've got a profile for where am I weak? Have I got deficiencies one leg or another? Am I stronger in pushing and pulling? Or do I look or move better in those areas than others? Uh, you know, Where are my weak links? What do I need to strengthen up so that uh, I'm better put together when you put that individual on the pitch? Um, so for the most part, I guess my aims are to you know, do a, a holistic profile to as I mentioned, sort of look for those red flags, the things that maybe um, make someone more, more, should we say, injury susceptible later down the line or something that may um, uh, may prove an obstacle for someone to use the, the physical capacities or, or their level of, of how good they can get to physically because they've been held back um, by an area, by being weak in one area. Or, or more importantly, you know, if, if we're going to distinguish again positionally on players, um, you want individuals say again using those two examples your your fullback for those guys need to be moving at top speed very very often and in this screening tool you can look at um, hop and stick now hop and stick doesn't necessarily determine if you're going to be fast or not but there's a lot of similarities mechanically uh, in terms of the forces required and how they do that in the timing of 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 plyometrics like a single leg hop or rebound that there's there's high similarities there of what you would want to see in running mechanically so you know if you move terribly in that hop and stick you've got poor stiffness poor reactivity poor coordination um no intent of hitting the floor then you're probably going to see some some matched issues in in terms of how they run move and sprint so you want to fix that up and that it won't fix you and make you faster necessarily but some of the components there will definitely make you a more able runner um so yeah hopefully that gives you yeah a sort of simple level that's that's what i'd maybe start at mate that's brilliant and um for all of you listening to this that is the short stop version of how to create your own professional strength and or start off on how to create your own professional strength and conditioning program so <laughs> you probably want to pause that rewind it take some notes and there you go you're away you go what i'll probably do is um link to that athletic ability assessment in the show notes so you can all just easily download it and start using it in the gym and as john said it's that's really going to be sort of the foundations that's going to help you improve your squat improve your sprint ability and everything like that so just because it might look a little bit different to what you're used to and i'm sure it goes the uh the paper goes through all the explanations and everything but really take the time to sort of learn what it all means and how it all works together um just before we uh move on just really quickly explain for us the difference between speed strength and strength speed you mentioned it briefly before but they're similar but they're 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 similar but quite different so just really quickly sort of explain the difference between those for us please yeah, sure. So um, trying to take something complex and simple. So strength, strength speed is essentially taking a submaximum weight, not a maximum weight, like a grinding weight, for instance, say a squat 1RM, like you just get up out of that squat and you've got a racket because you're going to drop the weight. It's using something more submaximal, say 70 
um, anywhere from 50 to 80% of your maximum and trying to move that as quick as possible. So there's a high amount of strength required to move a load of that of that size, but move it very quickly. That's your strength, strength speed. Your speed strength, let's just flip that. And let's say anything less than 50% of your maximum, so far lighter on the bar, so we're not talking 100 kilo plus, we're talking 50 kilo or less, and move that as dynamically and as quickly as possible. Um, and, and the rates of work, the modes of activity, uh, and the demand upon your system and your nervous system will distinguish those two different things as well. I've got to move a heavyweight quickly, or I've got to move a very lightweight as quicker as possible. Um, and and that that will be one way to distinguish immediately between um, you know positions of what they may or may not do between grunt positions and then resource positions. You you know you could start there very simply. Brilliant, nice one. Yeah, nice and simple there. Um, thanks for that. Uh, moving on. So obviously we've heard currently during this recording we're obviously in lockdown but at this specific time we've heard sort of a little glimpse from the government that sport might be coming back at some point there's talk of professional sport training being uh, reintroduced and recommencing and obviously that means everyone's going to be going into a giant pre-season and we're sort of in a pre-pre-season position at the moment everyone's doing a lot of training at home and so is there any particular differences between how you would train for pre-season to in-season? Is it, does it sort of look the same? Is there any particular differences? How, what would you say? Yeah, well, I guess the obvious thing is that um, the absence of a game calendar or, or less games mean that there's more time to develop and increase your physical capacities, your strength, fitness, speed and power, and which you then look to optimise in-season. Um, so, you know, how you might approach that is, is or, or broadly, as you say, general to specific, which you mentioned before, um, the nature of the work done becomes extensive, high volume to intensive, less, less volume, more intensity. The types of runs that, that you may do, for instance, at the start of preseason will be very long in, in distance and sustained efforts, whereas maybe t- more toward pre-season uh, and, pre- and, and in-season, you've still got an element of those runs, but you probably spend more time doing shorter runs, so more speed, for instance. Um, and then, you know, your conditioning in preseason, you're thinking about developing and building the size of the engine, the capacity to work. And then in season, you're certainly optimizing the horsepower um, and you're looking to then bridge that with intensity a lot more and be really specific about the dosing of that in season. Um, in, terms of a, in terms of a structure, how I used to approach pre-season and the obvious differences to in-season is that I would kind of operate with a in terms of a structural periodization I would there's a bit of a block approach in terms of in terms of the types of work done so you look at the very developmental versus um, working optimally in, in other areas in season um, there's a, a kind of a mixed methods approach where you're working concurrently on a number of things at once because it's either use it or lose it uh, the body's got, you know, there's a reversibility in terms of the nature of of the qualities that we develop and that we can possess longer term. So, we we in pre-season, as I've mentioned already, we or in in other areas, we want to develop maximum strength because the requirements to hit hard and run fast in in season. But you can't have that in, or you can't have power which underpins the explosiveness of that of, of that nature if you don't develop it in pre-season as well. You can't just have power in and speed in season if you don't develop it in pre-season so you're you're hybriding a number of things at once so you're always training concurrently strength speed power 
um, different types of fitness whilst also being I guess aware of you know other elements that you're making decisions on be it injury profile body composition uh, managing workload you know all those things are changing too but how I would um, put a pre-season together that if, if we just sort of dial into one area um, I'd split it into two main phases so you know, more general to specific and, and extensive to intensive so your first block say you've got a six-week pre-season or, or you're lucky enough to have an eight-week pre-season most players like like longer than not um, you let's say we split it right down the middle and you you half it four weeks one way four weeks another way your first block is your foundational block and that's where you're developing maximum strength your your foundation for strength that you'll use more explosively in the second block you're developing maximum aerobic fitness um, big engine size and the ability to work for longer periods of time and that will underpin uh, one how, how resistant you are to fatigue and then two enable you to to perform explosively and have good repeatability in the next phase in terms of speed i mentioned already um, you're you're probably looking more technically so lots of drills um, like your, your, your running marches your skipping your bounding throws included everything that thinks about what are the te technical competencies to, to run fast and then when you've instilled some of those things and you're working on you know, i would always approach acceleration first so let's get the wheels moving quickly let's get them moving efficiently efficiently getting the key body positions that we want to see to accelerate well um, and have really good footwork and then we'll on top of that once we've got that foundation we'll then develop more top speed in the second part of, of pre-season um and then uh, so so if you're thinking about that and be more specific and thinking about physical profile here for a second i would commonly split your pre-season into into three training groups in the first phase and then two in the second phase so my first phase i'd look like um generally speaking in most groups you have a group that needs to get stronger they're slight and they're very skinny so they want to build mass and size so they're in your hypertrophy group straight away you've got a group who the other end of the spectrum are coming a little bit heavy they've had a really good off season too many pies too many pies and they need to lose weight um but they're fairly strong so you might put them in a some sort of strength capacity style style framework uh, and then you've got a group who are already very lean good size but need to get stronger and more explosive so they would be in a strength power group straight away you'd run that for the first block um you'd you'd should milk the returns from that phase and then i transition them halfway through that and then i'd go into say two groups where um your your guy who are a little bit heavy um they go into strength power so they they match the other group the strength power group and everyone's doing strength power there straight away you've then got the group who went from just hypertrophy um who probably go into strength and strength power a little bit like the the heavier boys and then the group who were um your strong athletes but needed to get stronger they should now be really strong and then and then they're very much spending more time on developing um explosive strength speed strength power for instance that plays into into the needs of an individual really well i think um it hybrids the requirements in pre-season quite nicely and it means that you go from a very much a, a volume approach lots of sessions lots of sets high volume of work you've built the capacity the foundation for for intensifying that work in the next block when you shift across into the second phase of your pre-season and then you you dial back the volume because you want people to start to feel fresher move faster um lift heavy weights more quickly and then, as I mentioned already within those groups, you're working more explosively and, and, and looking to optimize and harness 
your strength developments and and then flip that into into more strength speed and and power and then in season um i uh, you, you you kind of you've got a bit of a block approach and in, in, for me i'd approach each phase with you know i'd sort of anchor it around competition and i'd look for it depends where you are but in the environment i was in rugby union we had we had a really competitive group but because of salary differences say in in, in the group and how we'd set up against um say your newcastles your bristols uh, we just didn't have it, the same playing budget so we looked to, to make those bigger differences in other departments physically had to be on the money so you know we would look to to peak and tailor our how we'd approach the training week in season to maximize player freshness um, um, technical physical abilities at the right times in, in, in season and so for that you would undulate in different phases some phases some blocks would be really high some months some of the other blocks will be very low where you again want to peak and optimize and it's all about being fresh and ready to perform at their best uh, with fatigue being at its least um, but still you know you, you you need an element of fatigue because we I think one thing we do understand that we don't want to dial away from in season is that we do need an element of stress because we're still looking to adapt but we're still looking to maintain qualities that we developed in other phases so whilst you've got a block approach you've got an undulating approach too where you're, you're working concurrently a number of different forms of, of training and components of training to to keep to kind of keep the, the the barbecue sizzling on one end if you've got a gas barbecue a terrible analogy but you've got a barbecue that's <laughs> hot on one end and then it's it's low simmer on the other high fire low fire and, and, and then you can flip it as you go through the season but you know it's either use it or lose it where reversibility is concerned where the body the body's concerned and, and so you need to be training all elements at once but yeah um i think developmental in pre-season and then and then optimizing that in season to, to strip that back nice brilliant yes yeah, so, and again some really solid advice on how to structure different areas of your training in pre-season and in season i really like what you said about training everything all the time i think that's really important i think a lot of people will just focus on gym grind gym 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 and then everything else will just sort of sacrifice with that so sort of a little addition onto that how would a sort of week of training look like for you in pre-season compared to in season i know we've talked sort of previously about how you could have sort of in season there'd be you could have sort of three lifts in a week whereas maybe on pre-season you could have four or five maybe how does yeah. how would you sort of structure a week in that sort of sense yeah really good point so if we're talking about a week which is you know the purpose of the week is to maximize physical development you, you've got the affordance to say right let's let's anchor running around the gym in some instances um the gym isn't isn't the biggest priority but it's a priority in terms of optimizing all the physical components that you want to use better on the pitch so in that first block of pre-season um yeah I've, I've done it a few ways so but um if you're someone who has got a reasonably good training experience and you can cope with a, a relatively high volume of of training you know don't, don't jump into this if you've only ever done one or two lists per week sessions a week but you um for me you, you could do four to five lists per week so if you've got an individual who's quite slight needs to put on muscle mass then we know high frequency of training albeit undulated lower lower limb and upper, upper limb you you can cope with up to five lists per week the upper body has also a greater propensity to recover from training than the lower body because those muscle muscles are a lot smaller in size um, and therefore the to the extent of damage that you can create you can just hit the upper body more often 
in the week. So, you know, you may go something like uh, on a Monday, a lower limb, a lower body, Tuesday, upper body. Um, you may transition a Wednesday to do other bits. And then a Thursday, Friday, you, you do the same again. You flip that into Monday, Tuesday. And then the, the Saturday, you could go a whole body, for instance, lift on a Saturday. Uh, and then again, the underpinning design of that session is based on what? Or do I need to get uh, lighter? Do I need to get heavier? Do I need to get stronger? And then, you know, you, you choose your lifts based off of that as well. In season, um, my preferred way to approach that is probably game day plus two. So, so 48 hours after the game, I'd hit them with a with an upper limb um, because we don't want to we don't want to cook the legs anymore because we're we're trying to optimize this rate of recovery in lower limbs because usually three four days after training after a game sorry you are running and you're running fast and they're back into conditioning games they're back into set pieces they're back into let's get um, let's get ready for the for the for the forthcoming fixture so I do upper limb because you don't want to you you don't want to run the risk of putting any more any more any more load or strain on those tissues because they're going to get exposed to running the following day um, we also know that um, hormonally there's there's a, there's a massive response to what happens when we lift or the type of lift that we do so just by lifting 40 hours after the fixture you're getting you're getting a massive spike in testosterone looking to inverse that relationship between testosterone and cortisol the stress hormone and you're saying to the system right let's flip from fight and flight, rest and recovery to we're going growth and development and lay down new tissue. Um, so I'd, I'd, I would do that on a, um, so if you've played on a Saturday, I, I'd be getting into that on a Monday and it probably, you know, shakes off the cobwebs and gets people moving forward mentally as well. A Tuesday then, um, I would then do a lower limb lift there and that would be my, probably my strength day for the week where you're getting after heavier loads. Um, uh, and you're looking to impose a little bit of stress and soreness. They're going to run the same day. I've usually done that. Do that after a pitch a pitch session, and then the following day it's a rest day. The Thursday, uh, then I would go into a whole body lift. So if you're thinking developmentally, I'd be wanting to hit someone with a whole body lift. This is obviously quite generically as a design, but um, you'd you'd be going strength and, and strength power because we're now kind of funneling down into high volume, higher load, and then bring the volume down a little bit, less sets and reps, um, and thinking about heavy loads, moving them very quickly, putting your plyometrics in there, other accessory work, and then two days tapering into your game, Thursday into your Saturday game. I've done it another way as well, where some groups like a bit of a pump session on a Friday, um, so they wouldn't lift on a Thursday, but they lift on a, on a Friday as a bit of a primer. The evidence for that in terms of you know, potentiating the nervous system and how that carries over into, into the following day isn't necessarily there to support it but um groups from an anecdotal point of view like it i think people quite like going into games feeling like they've got a bit of a pump and they've got a little bit of stiffness upper body but they're moving well and they feel like they can take tackles and collision and um you know they're kind of primed mentally for the work as well so i guess a number of those decisions you could also pin on um you know the cultural and behavioral needs of the group and and what do people feel they need to perform at their best and i think that's probably one of the if you're an individual listening to this uh, and amateur semi-pro level that's probably one of the best things you could do go well what have i done previously that's got me in, in a good place but mentally what do i feel i tolerate the best as well and that's more often than not perceptions reality you know that's the best way forward for you nice i really like that a uh, little bit at the end that you said about really feeling psychologically sort of prepared i think that that can sort of get overlooked and 
certainly from my experience playing and you know I know that if I felt like I was walking onto the pitch confident you know one of the biggest lads there I'd I'd sort of have a good game so I'd like to think I would anyway so I really like what you said there nice nice little um nice something a little bit different as well really good um you've mentioned things like undulating block periodization these are all sort of like different methods different periodization strategies uh, that people can use to help plan and influence their training and you must have played around with all different sort of types whatever it may be what method have you found that sort of produces the most consistent results and uh, and is there a method that produces the most consistent results <laughs> um i would say that Methods are many, but principles are few. If you can define what are your what are your your kind of principle, your lead, your core methods, or, or, the, or the core things that you're looking to achieve as a player and, and and also as a group, that should probably determine what methods you use. So if you've got a group who are going to play um, a style of rugby which is big, physical, hit up the middle then the methods that you probably want to use most often are there to harness the development of maximum strength. Big physical outfit. Inversely, if you've got a group which is more fast attacking, expansive rugby, get it out to the wings uh, and use footwork and pace, then you want to use methods which then harness the development of speed and power and, and optimises that. But in essence, look at, look at well, one, the style of rugby that, that the group want to play um, and Usually that, I guess, comes from the head coach and have that get defined really, really well. And then work backwards from them and look to reverse engineer. What are the key components we need, therefore, to play that style of rugby most often? And then you've kind of got your key leading methods that you need to then chase in the gym to develop uh, a type of player who can, who can work in a certain way, who can perform in a certain way uh, and, and then have those abilities to recover effectively in a certain way. But for the most part, keeping it really simple. You're thinking about what methods do you need to make sure players are moving well consistently. So those are robust from a, a movement point of view. When I say that, what does that mean? It's do they coordinate well? So do they do they look fluid? Um, and 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 do they do they bounce effectively when their foot hits the floor in, in running? Are they moving well? Can the brain and the body access all positions, all key ranges of movement, and does it have a really good synergy in, in, in its structures and its tissues of how it does that efficiently. You then got get strong uh, and you're thinking about consistently exposing, it probably goes for any athlete really, but exposing those individuals to strength most often. We know that I've mentioned reversibility a couple of times um, and be that in terms of detraining or be that in terms of cessation of training. You, you recognize that there's a use it or lose it principle physically unless you're taking performance enhancing substances you're, you're, <laughs> you're not going to sustain strength all year round you have to continue to dose it um usually there's there's a period of at least 28 days when you could start to see losses in strength so providing that you are well conditioned and you're strong enough we're going to need to keep kind of tickling that fire stoking that fire there's that barbecue analogy again and just making <laughs> sure that you've got You've got the capacity, the horsepower, and it's still there. It must be that good weather getting you thinking about barbecues, mate. I, I was doing it last night, mate. That's why it's on my mind. <laughs> um, and then, and then run fast. You you, you want to make sure that, of course, across the week, the design of the training 
program is you know maybe you've i've seen in some examples before you 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 have a program that's that's paying high attention high energy to developing fast athletes but the way that potentially uh the technical program is should we say delivered or designed makes people really tired toward the end of the week because because there's a tendency toward we want to make sure we get our, our, our playing structures right our strategy right get the routines down um get your plays right and then you spend hours and hours on the pitch and then all those quote-unquote speed qualities that you developed you know you the, you know they've got it they just can't they can't use it for the full game because they're too tired and you've cooked it too much throughout the week you know, the steak is too cooked so you you want to make sure you've got a really nice balance to what you're doing so again def- define what you're looking for have some really good leading principles that then that then probably enable you to to choose the right the right method the right potion for for the return that you want nice yeah i think that's some good advice certainly looking back and reverse engineering from not only who you want to be as a player but how you can best put yourself in the squad in the playing style that the coaches want as you said before that is that's really important that that very often gets missed from from what i've seen and sort of who i've worked with as well so thank you for bringing that one up in all of your experience in strength training for rugby and everything that you've done what is the best piece of advice that you've been given when it comes to strength training for rugby um yeah strength training yeah it's one of the most important qualities um i would say that and sort of a bit left field to this I think it was a quote by Mike Boyle years ago, and it was so simple, but it was, you get what you train. So one example I'll give you, I was at um, a rugby union academy, and and at the time I was I was looking diligently about what physical abilities and qualities the lads had at the time that we were we were developing. They were they were they were strong, really strong. And I was looking for some advice as a young SNC coach from um, the the most senior coach who was in the first team at the time, and someone that had done the job for 20 years um and at the time i felt like and certainly the results that that or how we profiled the players showed that relatively they were very 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 strong uh, and yet the coach my academy coach is saying to me yeah i want to get these guys these backs quicker they're strong i can see that they can, they can walk through people but we want to get them more explosive because we want to play fast attacking rugby so i went to uh, at the time um the snc coach there and and, and kind of pose the question, listen, I'd like to start to get this group moving because, you know, I was sort of running things by him. I want to get them, I want to get them quicker. I, I I believe that I'm probably going to have to start doing more plyometrics, more power, but a graded approach. And the, and the answer that came back was, no, don't worry about that. Just keep developing strength on strength on strength. And, and, and whilst, you know, I don't want to kind of rubbish the notion that if you're developing athletes, strength isn't going to be important to you. It, it absolutely is because what we see in a lot of maturing and experienced senior athletes on any level is that if you haven't had the requisite development of strength, the underpinning um, um, development of strength, then you are not robust enough, usually speaking, to to cope with the rigors of, of a long competition, a chaotic competition, injuries um, and, and often offset gaps in, tra- in access to training because you've got a training calendar that means that you just can't train that often so 
you know the stronger you are if you've got if you've got a good basis of strength behind you you've you've kind of got that as I mentioned already you've got that quality to look after you can preserve it um and i kept playing the same tune it was strength on strength on strength and, and these guys had been already weathered to to strength development for at least a year and a half if not two years and it i i i kind of you know followed the superior but i was hearing other other folks and in in at the time uh, through podcasts and other bits like mike boyle and 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 i was becoming increasingly aware of the need to to training a concurrent man and have a nicer balance to how i was approaching programming and so um i kind of took it on my own my own accord and actually made those decisions and we started to see you know some really good returns in power and speed development and our plays got faster so it's a lot you know you get what you train and um it was only then until i started to run a bit of an undulating and a concurrent approach where we prioritize different types of, of training or fitness at different stages, but we, but we still look to maintain and sustain their abilities in all areas. But we just, you know, we, we'd flip it to prioritize one, one or two things at once. Um, yeah. So does, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think that I really like the story about, um, you know, how you came into, how you came into conflict with that head of S and C. And I think that definitely, definitely highlights the need of you know if you if you want to improve something you've got to train it but if you want if you train so much of it it's going to take away from everything else i think that i think that's really good and just keeping that just keeping a small thread of everything going through the season is sort of the most important thing right even if you're doing a little bit of say speed as long as you're always doing a little bit of it you're going to keep up with it right am i sort of right in thinking that yeah 100 percent. and um there's so if you think about you know one of the things that um from a physical point of view players are very aware of whether you're a forward or back is is um, injuries hamstring injuries so we say that's probably the most on vogue thing and it has been for years um and those who get um repetitive hamstring injuries or, or chronic standing injuries you know can't be on the pitch and you know the goal of every program is to maximize player availability as i see it that's your number one goal and so if you have an appropriate level of strength i.e you're relatively very strong um so there's a lot of hamstring literature that talks about the importance of developing high-end relative strength eccentric strength and if you don't have good levels of eccentric strength uh, from a hamstring point of view then you can't tolerate some of those uh, high magnitudes of high peak force that occurs when the foot hits the ground or, or should i say the, the the swing leg extends that leg swing phase of gait where you've you've kind of hit that high angle of your knee to your hip and then you're starting to then reach that foot forwards out for the ground and then that foot comes back underneath you and then you strike the floor if you can't handle um that that foot that shin angle moment as it's um as it's moving away from the femur yes yeah, i'm trying to so if you're if you're if you've let's talk about this in limb. So if you've if you've towed off from your left foot and now you're recovering that right leg through and you're about to hit the ground with the right leg, as that the right leg starts to extend and reach, go from a short to a long position, lever position, the hamstring has to start to decelerate where that shin, where that ankle and that foot starting to go. If it doesn't, the leg will just swing out in front of you and you collapse. So if you can't cope with some of those high decelerative eccentric style forces at high speed, because you know, the goal of, of, of speed is to move fast, then you are very susceptible. So you need higher amounts of strength to cope with that. And if you've not developed that consistently and looked after that quality, then 
you are going to be susceptible at different periods of the training. And I've seen that in many individuals throughout my career who perhaps in pre-season have a worldie and then in season just go missing from the gym. Um, right. who, who are just a little bit ignorant to the fact that they still need to keep doing the strength work despite the fact they've gotten to an appropriate level. Um, and that's where I think as an individual, you know, you talked about it earlier on in the talk, but periodically looking to reprofile yourself uh, and using your training as an element of testing to say, right, once every six to eight weeks, I'm going to go for a max effort style effort here, whether that be, um, if you haven't got any equipment, I'm talking about hamstrings here for a second, but it might be um, a, a unilateral single leg bridge for time. It might be uh, a loaded bridge for time. If you look at more maximal strength in that area, you want to look at Nordics. You want to look at how long you could perform a Nordic for. You want to look at how long you could hold an isometric Nordic for. You want to test your muscle's ability to do those things. And, and, and that should then continue to inform your decision-making about the styles of training or the nature of training and the types of as you progress through rather than just go, well, I test in pre-season, but I'm not testing again till say next season. That's as an idea. It's ludicrous because you, 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 again, you're assessing about where you are. You, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. So try and remove some of the, um, um, the guesswork and, and, and operate with a little bit more clarity in the decisions and by using some of those tools to help you. Well, you know, what method do I now need to use to get that consistent result? Nice. Brilliant. Yeah. Always taking the time out just to, just to re-gauge where you are is always so important. And if anything, it just sort of refocuses you and gets you back in the mindset of reevaluating your training and where you're actually going with it. So that, that was a really good piece of advice. Really like that. That's something really important you should all write down there. Um, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things in this podcast, a lot of sort of training and methods and strength and all sorts. But is there one particular sort of story, case study or example you'd like to share that sums up what we've been talking about? I know you sort of mentioned about um, sort of how, how you had to discuss with the head of S&C before. And, you know, if that's if that's your story, then then we can sort of roll with that. But is there is there anything sort of springing to mind that uh, that you could share? Um it might, it might be along the similar sort of lines of what we said, really. But if we, if I think about, you, know, you mentioned your audiences, perhaps amateur and semi-pro. If you, if if I was to look at that, for instance, and and there was a scenario I had um, a, a number of years ago. I was running a first-team program in rugby union, and we had a, a prop forward join us who um, was uh, a considered talent uh, at the time, um, and 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 there's probably a, a few reasons and conditions of why he was there in the first place, but. Um, great guy and he came in and uh, he had an impact but we found that he he struggled to keep up with the speed uh, and the requirements of the program because if he was going to become say a number one choice in in one of the front three he'd need to have uh, good availability he needed to be on the pitch when the, the coach wanted he needed to be available all the time and if he wasn't then you know we, we know that that can I guess it's going to throw up some politics where, where player coach decisions are, are concerned. So um, he he got stuck into the program, but because he didn't necessarily have a high training background behind him of of you know training and performing in a pro outfit before, i.e. he's going you you kind of going from couch to five k without the, the requisite increments, you're 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 playing with fire. So I guess probably leaning on what you said before about you need to be training each of these uh, each of the com- uh, important elements or or components of training very very often in order to maintain those 
equally, if you look into manage a training program between off-season, pre-season to in-season, that there needs to be uh, a ramp up and a build down. You you can only prepare what you you can only tolerate what you're prepared for. And, and this guy broke down despite the fact he was uh, of a similar age, but he had a poor training experience. So I guess the nugget from that one is that you need to be prepared for what you're about to go and do. Um, and, and the case of that needs to be managed well by the decisions you make within a training program, how a training program is put together. Um, uh, and if you've got someone in that environment who comes in or you're an individual yourself who goes into an environment like that or moves to a different team and they do something very, very differently, then work really hard on preparing yourself for what are the worst case scenarios, i.e. what might you be asked to do that exceeds your tolerance to cope with the nature of how they train and how they play. Um, and then by and large, you should be able to tolerate that transition more effectively rather than you know end up with an injury, uh, which means then you're out of favour and maybe you're there for a short term, you've got to influence uh, and, and you know do something well on the pitch, but you can't if you're injured. So um, you get what you're prepared for uh, and, and make sure that you've got some of that foundational prep behind you before you go and before you put yourself in that situation. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah, really, really good, concise story there about just making just making sure that you got got a good training background and good training knowledge and uh and yeah just sort of just keep working hard i guess and um so just wrapping it up now what are some of the resources you would recommend to people starting out on their strength training journey starting out strength training journey so if you wanted to um i guess but get a, a better education about about strength and, and certainly folks should if, if you're designing your own program um there's a number of of pretty good resources on the net i mean you know connor i know you've done a lot of work in this area so they should check out your stuff and um try and be as well read as possible in in some of the quality resources so if you, you go to the uk strength and conditioning association there's a lot of articles and bits and pieces that you can pick up for free if you get yourself a membership and uh, there's no kickbacks here for me folks but um you know it, it's got a site that's got a lot of information i think science for sport have also got a lot of information um and then in terms of program make sure again you're really well informed about the decisions and the types of of programs that you're choosing um and if you're doing it yourself well look to experts who have done that before um take their key lessons and learnings and then apply that but um if you 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 know yeah i guess there's there's a there's a variety of resources it really depends where you want to go with it from a coach point of view for me um some of the soviet resources are, are gold standard and king pick those up um for kachansky uh, mel sif i've got a couple of books by those guys um training uh, speed training is another one which is um a phenomenal resource as well i'd look at that one if you want to be uh, quick and explosive uh, and again i think at the moment in in lockdown there's a host of of webinars and bits and bobs that are knocking around nice and where can people contact you if they have any questions about this yeah so um you drop me an email which is john at noonanperformance.com uh, i'm also on uh, instagram and twitter which is john underscore m underscore noonan excellent i'll make sure all of those go in the show notes John Curtis Noonan, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic. You've been you've given some incredible insights into how to dominate the gym for rugby performance. And if you are an aspiring rugby player, you want to be the best. Get your notepad out, rewind, and just 
take all the notes you can because it's been absolutely fantastic. This is how to create your own professional strength training program in this podcast. So, John, thank you very much for that. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. Great to chat. All right, mate. Take care. That's it for another episode of the Fitness for Sport podcast. Thank you very much for listening. This is the part where I tell you to go and sign up to the mailing list. Now, if you want free training advice and guidance every day, then make sure you click the description in the show notes or you go to yes.athleticstrengthuk.co.uk forward slash sign underscore up and you will get a new email in your inbox every Monday to Friday with free training advice, free guidance from everything from weight training, power training, speed training to mental health and all the rest. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to sign up. Click the link in the show notes and I shall see you next time.